Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. By most units of measurements, 48 hours is not longer than 20 years. But these next 48 hours for the Mariners may feel longer than the last 20 years of watching this team because there is still so much on the line for them over their next two games against the Angels this weekend. Tonight, they take them on uh, later on here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And then tomorrow, in the season finale, the regular season finale, hopefully it's not the entire season finale, there's still plenty to play for for this Mariners team. And we're getting started here on Seattle Sports Saturday with the team that has captured the region over the last couple of weeks. That'd be your Seattle Mariners. By the way, I'm Curtis Rogers, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Taylor Jacobs, off this week. Uh, we'll find out exactly why he's off later on in the show during shoutouts. But I'm joined today by Mike Lefko, producer of Wyman and Bob. You hear him also on the Mariners pre and post game show every now and then. Uh, he does it all around here. Mike, good morning to you. You and boy, this Mariners team, they just, they never make it easy on themselves. Curtis, good morning. That's what makes it fun though, right? Would it be fun if it was easy? Come on. No, it wouldn't. That, and that, that's what, yeah. that what makes this journey so special is that it hasn't been easy on the Mariners. They had their backs against the wall after that Red Sox series and it was basically win out or go home. And they have done their darndest to win out. And last night, unfortunately, they took a, a severe hit on their way to a potential postseason berth here. But look, you cannot say that this season is over. We got spoiled. I mean, I honestly never thought they would lose again after the way they keep they kept beating <laughs> Oakland. They just kept winning. They kept winning 12 in a row against the A's. Really did spoil you because of the comebacks they had and because of the literal booting of the ball that Oakland had in some of the games in the series. So until it actually happened last night, I was just under the impression they would keep winning. But now it's back to reality and back to the, the situation that you said that if you would have taken this situation, I mean, look at Wednesday. After they won Wednesday, Boston had not played yet on Thursday. They had not lost yet. So the Mariners, for all the winning, were still behind the Red Sox. And you felt good on Wednesday, right? Oh, absolutely you did. And uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, you were behind the Red Sox. And I think maybe it was because there was more time for the Mariners to make up ground a couple days ago than there is now. I mean, there's only two games left in this season. You're going to need some help from the Nationals over the course of either tomorrow, today or tomorrow as they take on the Red Sox. But like we have talked about here in the open, as much as the Mariners make it hard on themselves, it has tended to work out in their favor at multiple instances throughout this season. And maybe just maybe they have another one of these instances here in the last, the last pair of games in 2021. Hey, what do we longtime Washington Nationals fans say? <laughs> Let, go let's Nats. go Nats. Let's <laughs> go Nats. exactly what we say. Uh, Mike, you were at the game last night, and you're new to the Seattle area within the last calendar year. Have you ever been in a baseball atmosphere like that in your life? And, and if you have, where did that crowd last night stack up to uh, sort of the best atmospheres you've been at at a baseball game? Yeah, I was trying to think of that while I was there, while I was taking it all in. It was extremely impressive, and I realized – I haven't been to many playoff baseball games. I've been to a lot of regular season games. I've been to a few. But to be in the midst of that and to see an entire stadium come together, especially because we know 
the crowds the Mariners have gotten all year. And we know it's not close to capacity because people were hesitant about this team and they were coming out of a pandemic. So rightfully so, you were cautious about going out to the ballpark. But to see the galvanizing effort that took place over the off day and then into Friday, it was an incredible crowd. And I think the result should not take away from how special it was last night because you did have everyone engaged. Well, all but like 10 fans, but we'll talk about that later. You had everyone engaged. They were hanging on every pitch. They were up clapping with two strikes and two outs, and it felt like a playoff crowd. I know it's not the playoffs, but it was a de facto playoff atmosphere. I mean, it's not the playoffs by the official title of the playoffs, but it very much is a win-or-go-home scenario for the Mariners over the next two days, and that's about as playoffs as it has gotten over here over the last two decades. And look, this Mariners team in 2021 with their backs against the wall for as long as they have been against the wall have have shown a resiliency that I don't think any Mariners team in the last two decades has come close to, which makes this bunch the bunch that I think so many Mariners fans across the region, across the Northwest, have almost, you know, fallen in love with or have have said like this is the group I want to see break this streak that is longer than any current streak in American professional sports 20 years of no playoff baseball here in town and I mean look this team has so many great characters on it so many great guys on it do not let the results of last night get in the way of you supporting this team over the next two days because you know what last night did not go the Mariners way and it's an uphill battle for them to make the playoffs but it's still still alive no matter how difficult it may be over the next couple of nights well and Curtis quickly here uh, I just want to say that nothing changes for the Mariners tonight it's the exact atmosphere as last night because no matter what happens in all these other games they're watching they still need to win tonight so you go and you support them and you cheer them on, it should be the exact same atmosphere because as long as they win, that's a big-time game, a big-time feel for themselves. Now, it could get to the point tomorrow on Sunday where you might have a situation that even if they win, they won't make it in, but that's tomorrow's worry. And we procrastinators like to push that aside until the last possible minute. So tonight, get out and support them. Absolutely. Get out and support them, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot of Mariners here on Seattle Sports Saturday this uh, late morning, early afternoon. We're going to be with you until 1230 before we hand it over to Cougar Football as they take on the Cal Golden Bears uh, later this afternoon right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But before we get into all that, let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, like we talked about off the top, Mariners still alive even after their heartbreaking 2-1 to loss last night against the Angels. Boy, Mike, that loss last night, they had plenty of opportunities to get back into it. A lot of people pointing to that seventh inning where Luis Trenz leads off the inning with a triple. They get the next runner on with a walk, runners on the corners, and then Jared Kelnick strikes out swinging, Tom Murphy strikes out swinging, and then strike out looking to end the inning on a very questionable third strike call, I might add. That was a, a brutal, brutal call to end that inning. And then in the ninth inning, Mariners with an opportunity with the leadoff man, Kyle Seeger, doubling, but they couldn't even advance him over to third. The Mariners fall 2-1 to one in the series opener against the Angels. Now they're a game back of the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. 
Mike, was there anything you saw last night from this team that has you a little concerned going into today? Or, or is, do you think last night was a learning opportunity for this young bug? Yeah, Curtis, uh, that seventh inning, that is just brutal. Lead-off triple, the M's unable to push across a run, really just kind of makes you angry. But that was kind of the story of it. And I think they pressed a little too much. Uh, and we'll certainly hit on this a little bit more throughout the show. The situation was new. For a lot of people, for fans, for the players, when's the last time any of these guys, a very young core, have been in a situation like that? So a good learning opportunity, but they were certainly pressing in a situation where throughout the course of the season, they had been so good at finding a clutch way to get on base, a clutch hit or a clutch run. Number Number two. two. Ran well, through the music. My bad. I got too excited. Well, that's that's our cue to keep it moving here. That's on true. Seattle Sports All right. Saturday. Thank you, Matt Nelson. Uh, <laughs> we got some scoreboard watch going on this morning. There's already one game with plenty of implications in the American League wildcard race going on. That'd be the Rays taking on the Yankees. And so far, so good. Brandon Lau with a three-run home run in the first inning has the Rays up on the Yankees. Three to one. Shane Boz is the starting pitcher for the Rays today, taking on Jordan Montgomery. Fingers crossed that that stays true throughout the rest of this early morning. Uh, They are through three in New York right now. And later on today, you've got two games that are of the utmost importance for Mariners fans to keep an eye on. That'd be the Blue Jays and Orioles needing our Baltimore Orioles. Shout out to the O's. Uh, They need to knock off the Blue Jays and then the Red Sox and Nationals, the most important game for Mariners fans outside of what goes on at T-Mobile Park tonight. Uh, That game gets going at 1 o'clock. So the Mariners will know the road they need to take when they head to the park today, pretty much. Yeah, it's wild because we keep highlighting the Red Sox. They only have to lose one game. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Rays pulled off this sweep. It was rare to think that the Yankees, with how hot they'd been, winners of six straight going into the series against the Blue Jays last time out, could lose all three against the Rays, who really don't have much to play for outside of best overall record in the American League. But it's happening right now. Six to one, Rays lead in the third inning. So the Yankees could lose out and make it very interesting for the Mariners. Number three. Wow, six to one. Yeah, another three-run shot for the Rays. Brandon Lau has all six RBIs, by the way. He's pulling Mitch Hanniger against the Yankees. Uh, send that man a fruit basket or something. But headline or story number three here: the Seahawks already in a must-win scenario in Week Four. They're staring one and three in the face as they travel to the Bay Area to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Mike. Not a lot has gone right for the Seahawks ever since the end of the first half against the Tennessee Titans. Look, this team needs a get-right game in the worst way. I don't know if that's going to be against the 49ers. They always play San Francisco very close to the end, but this team needs something to go their way because if not, there's going to be a lot of soul-searching being done and not a very quick time to do it as their next game's on a Thursday night. I think it's important. I don't know if it's a must-win. Because it's week four of a 17-week season. Maybe, Curtis, only because of how new this would be for the Seahawks. The whole Russell Wilson's never lost three games in a row. It would be a rare one-in-three start. and It would be going in the wrong direction. But, I don't know. It's tough to call it a must-win when you still have a lot of the division left. Now, it makes the Rams a must-win. That's for sure. On Thursday night. But this one's pretty important. You're right. 
Very important. That game will get going tomorrow on 710 ESPN Seattle with a 105 kickoff. 10 o'clock a.m. pregame show on 710 ESPN and also 97.3 FM. Uh, our old friend Mike Zanino adding a solo shot as the Rays now lead the Yankees 7-1 to one oh, in the wow. third Keep inning. Keep it going. Yeah, keep it going, boys. Let's let's see. Uh, go go Rays. Go Orioles. Go Nationals. Uh, cannot say that enough over here on the Northwest. Uh, some honorable mentions this week: the Kraken moved to three one and zero in the preseason, following their two one overtime win over the Oilers on Friday night in Everett. They finish off their three rink rush here in the Northwest tonight against Calgary in my neck of the woods. Shout out to the Showware Center in Kent, Washington. Beautiful Kent, Washington, the bustling metropolis that is Kent, Washington. Shout out to the two five three, and then some college football later on today. We talked about Cougs taking on Cal later on 710, but then also the Huskies take on the Oregon State Beavers in Corvallis. That game gets going around 6 o'clock tonight. But a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff, something for everybody here on this Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We've got college football. We've got Mariners. We've got Seahawks tomorrow. And, hey, maybe there's going to be some special programming if the Mariners pull this off on uh, Sunday oh, night. That's a tease for you. It may be. Maybe. Keep your ear to the ground for that one. But coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we're going to tell you why even after last, last night's loss, it, it's not time to panic just yet for these Mariners. He's Mike Lefko. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, I know after a loss like last night, the common thing to do is hit panic and say, well, look, it was a great season, but who knows if this team has what it takes to make the playoffs. But look, there's two games left, and there's getting a big help right now from the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who are well out in front of the Yankees early on in that game, seven to one in the third inning. But Mike last night, you know, the Mariners losing two to one heartbreaking fashion, obviously couldn't have come at a worse time on the schedule, but look, the team that is directly ahead of them, the Red Sox has not really shown the ability to run away with this thing in the wild card, despite the multitude of opportunities they have had over the last couple of weeks here. I don't know. I, I still do not think that this Mariners team is, is anywhere close to being out of this wild card race. Not at all. And I think it's because they got into a situation last night where they hadn't been in before and, and now they know, and they have recalibrated understand that in a close game in a playoff like feel with 44,000-plus cheering you on, you kind of have to take a step back and not get caught up in the moment. The fans can get caught up in the moment, and certainly before the game, but in that situation, it's very tough until you get in it to realize just how different it is. And I think it, it was interesting, Curtis, because yesterday, all before the game, when fans started to come in, they were obviously curious. So up on the big video board, the Mariners were playing both the Blue Jays and the Red Sox games. And what happened in those games, both those teams dominated. So you have that playing. And the players are aware. I'm sure they're warming up and not paying undivided attention. But they were aware of what happened. So you put that little pressure on them as well. Oh, okay. The Blue Jays have won. The Red Sox have won. We have the biggest crowd of the season. We have to deliver. And you saw that in the critical spots in the seventh and in the ninth inning. 
And now that we realize that and they realize that, I think you'll see a Mariners team that you're used to seeing over the past couple of weeks come out tonight. Yeah, and it was guys who had never really been in those kinds of scenarios before. Marco Gonzalez coming into last night was 9-0 and in the season's second half. 9-0, and considering the first half he had this season, that might even be more surprising than just how amazing 9-0 and looks on paper. And he gets the loss last night because of that inning. He he ran into trouble with that third inning where he saw his pitch count go through the roof, and uh, it kind of got away from him, that du- RBI double uh, to the wall there needing that double play to get out of it. He did get that double play, luckily, so it didn't snowball on him in a way that, you know, made things even more daunting for the Mariners. But he wasn't the only one that was pressing at times. Jared Kelnick, who had the RBI double to put the Mariners up one nothing early on in the game, we we point to that at bat in the seventh inning, runners on the corners, nobody out. He strikes out on what would have been ball four. Uh, guys like Ty France last night, where he grounds into two double plays in, in big spots and then also uh, has another weak ground out, just kind of rolled over a lot of times up at the dish there. I Look at those three guys. Those are guys that have never, ever been in a spot like this before in their careers. And that's not to take away from the kinds of players they are or the kinds of players they could end up being, especially in the case of France and, and Kelnick, who are really just starting their major league careers, where Marco's a much more established guy. He's in, what, I think year five with the Mariners. Um, but those kinds of moments, I think, build better players because – they can look back on it and say, you know what, maybe I was trying to do way too much there. And I mean, you look at the swing that Kelnick put on that 3-2 pitch, that was somebody looking to park it at the Hit It Here Cafe. Yeah, there's no glory in drawing a walk in that situation, right? And there's <laughs> no, no glory in getting on base as, and simply loading the, the bases. Goes, That's not fun. As the saying goes, chicks dig the long ball. They don't They don't dig the 3-2 walk. Would they dig? What if it was a walk but a sprint to first? Like when J.P. Crawford got hit by the pitch oh. and he sprints to first. <laughs> That's right. That that's more impressive, I think. Chicks yeah, dig the sure. hit by pitch sprint to first is the new saying, <laughs> as they say. But yeah, the Angels. So the Angels TV broadcast, whoever is the the analyst on that, he called it. He was prescient in saying Jared Kelnick, wherever this pitch is, is swinging at this three two pitch, and he did because in that situation, you're a young guy who wants to deliver. He had the biggest moment of Wednesday night's game, and he wanted to come through again. And the Angels, yeah. Credit them for recognizing that and not throwing a pitch anywhere in the zone. So you had a lot of young guys. Like Ty France, you were talking about that. Rolled over everything. As much of a rock as he has been, don't forget that he's pretty much brand new to this situation as well. So I think the adrenaline captured fourth, got it out of their system. And I would be very surprised if you see another Mariners output like that, like they had last night, 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. It's been uncharacteristic what they've shown these past couple of weeks and maybe even the whole second half of the season it is but what have you seen from this team this year that puts you at ease a little bit more going into tonight's game 6-10 start against the Angels going up against Jonathan Diaz who is about as quote just a guy as anybody in Major League Baseball Uh, you've got Chris Flexen on the mound tonight who has been your horse he has been the one constant in your rotation all year long he has been the exact same pitcher he was on on opening day as he is here in game 161 what do you see from this team over the course of this season that puts you at ease going into tonight well because they they find ways to win 
I mean, 33 one-run wins. That's the most in the majors. They were 33-18 and 18 before the loss last night. And even though they didn't win, I mean, we're talking about they were close. Again, like, look at the seventh and look at the ninth. Those are the big innings. They lost the lead. They had not been hitting. They hadn't gotten anything going. And all of a sudden, felt like a typical Mariners game where they have found ways to just find a run when they need it. Oh, all of a sudden, it's Luis Torrens with a triple off a guy's glove. Yeah, that's the Mariners. They're going to do that. Or in the ninth. Hope had kind of waned a little bit after the eighth inning where you kind of go down meekly. And Kyle Seeger just, yeah, no problem. I'll get on base with a double. So they've done that all year, even in the games that they lose like last night. And I think that's just going to keep going because it's built into the DNA of this team. It is. And and that DNA from this team comes from people like Scott Service, who have been instrumental in building the culture of this team. And he's a guy that has gotten everything out of his players this season. I mean, you look at the, the lineups that the Mariners continue to run out. There's you know still a third of the lineup every single night hitting below 200. And yet here they are neck and de- neck and neck with the Blue Jays with the Red Sox with the Yankees for those wild card spots three teams that have spent a tremendous amount of money this offseason Blue Jays bring in George Springer and Marcus Semien and Robbie Ray uh all three or uh, Ray and Semien I mean you look at him or you look at Ray probably the American League Cy Young this year Marcus Semien if it weren't for his teammate Vlad Guerrero Jr probably the MVP or Shohei Otani and then George Springer Mariner killer one of the more dynamic outfielders in the game I mean that's a team that has spent their way to where they are same with the Red Sox same with the Yankees and here's the plucky Mariners the guys who uh, you know a lot of cast-offs a lot of guys who would not have gotten their shine if they had stayed with their current organization Mitch Hanniger if he had stayed with the Diamondbacks who knows where he would be if, if the Mariners hadn't traded for him same with Ty France uh, you know, same with Marco Gonzalez, if he were with the Cardinals still. I mean, this is a team that is just full of these these cast-offs and these misfits and guys who, you know, were good players but just didn't get that opportunity, and now they're getting that time to shine. And, I mean, it, it is a testament to the belief. I mean, the, it's the apropos word right now. It's that sign right behind you in studio there, Mike, saying I put believe. that up, too. So thank you <laughs> yeah, yeah, for admiring you, my handiwork. You're welcome, and that is up in studio. It's it's up all over town. It's all up over T-Mobile Park. That doesn't ring true if it isn't for guys like Scott Service pulling all the strings in that clubhouse. They also literally do seem to have the memory of a goldfish, and that's Scott Service's saying this year, because anytime you expect something to happen with them, they do the opposite. After that Boston series, the way they lost, too, with the Kelnick Line drive going just inches foul, and then they lose in heart-wrenching fashion, just imploding, giving up all those runs in extra innings. No, they come back, and they just win two of three in Kansas City, and then rattle off six straight wins. Like, in all intents and purposes, the season was over, except for the Mariners. So, last night, I don't think we'll phase them. One last, two last opportunities for this Mariners team to remain in that American League wildcard chase. First pitch tonight is at 610 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Another full ballpark at T-Mobile Park tonight uh, as they take on the LA Angels. But coming up, look, there's a Seahawks game this weekend, unbelievably. It feels like it's a footnote and. What's wild about that is it almost feels like a must-win, too. So how can these Seahawks restore some confidence in you against these San Francisco 49ers? We talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. 
Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you haven't heard, we got a new text line here at 710. It is the same number as our call-in number, 206-421-3776. That is the Mac and Jack's text line. If you want to join in on the conversation this morning, that's your place to go to. He is Mike Lefko. I'm Curtis Rogers. Mike filling in for Taylor Jacobs this week here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Mike, this Seahawks 49ers matchup going into tomorrow I mean, if you're not feeling uneasy about it, I want what you're having, okay? Like, I, there is just something about this 49ers matchup that I just am not really looking forward to, mainly because these two teams always play tight. There is rarely a game that San Francisco and Seattle plays that is not down to the wire, is not down to the final possession of the game, and Looking at this Seahawks team this year in in close situations, I look at that Titans game, for example, in week two. I mean, the Seahawks had every opportunity to win that, could not pull it off. And and now the Seahawks staring down one and three to start their season, a place they have not been in a very long time. When you look at this 49ers matchup for the Seahawks, what do you what is your confidence level in the Seahawks going into tomorrow? Is this a numerical value? I have to assign or just let's a, do uh, a scale of one to 12 because oh, it's the Seahawks, of course. 12, and, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to go cute like that with a scale of one to 12. Right. Of course. Of course. OK, well, because it is a matchup where these two teams always play each other close, like you were saying, regardless of the situation or who's actually in there, get a little more confidence that way. And when you look at the Niners' injuries, that would be the only thing I, I would think, Curtis, it kind of sways it into the, oh, it's not a death knell, hey, the Seahawks are totally lost, because the 49ers' defense is so banged up. You know, they lost Jason Verrett a couple weeks ago. Josh Norman is hurt. Kiwan Williams is hurt. Everyone's hurt on this Niners team. And once again, they just seem to have so many injuries. Javon Kinlaw, their defensive tackle, is questionable. So hopefully the Seahawks can take advantage of that. But that's the, the big but there. I'm going to work a long answer into my actual numerical value yeah, the second-half offense hasn't shown that it's been there at all yet this entire season, and the defense still can't get third-down stop. So I'd say uh, six. Just throwing that out there. Okay, Just a okay. Six. My, yeah. I would say my confidence level on a scale of 1 to 12 probably at a, a 5 right now. You mentioned the 49ers and their injury report. George Kittle questionable with a calf injury. He was a DNP on Wednesday and Thursday and a limited participant on Friday. I will say, though, maybe Kittle's availability a little more overblown in the fact that he has never scored a touchdown against the Seahawks in his career. He is over in that category. So, See, I don't want to hear that. It's a guy who has him in fantasy football. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, he's, he's never scored week. against the Seahawks, right. which is bizarre because I think consensus is if he's not the best tight end in football, he's top two with Travis Kelsey, uh, Elijah Mitchell, they're running back. He was a limited participant all throughout the week. He's questionable. Josh Norman, doubtful. Kawan Williams has already been listed as out with a calf injury. Uh, we've got Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. Those two were full participants. It looks like they're going to go. Um, but yeah, that 49ers injury report does play into the Seahawks favor, especially if Kittle can't go, even though they have, shut him out his entire career against the team but let's look at how the Seahawks are and and if 
there's something that they need to do that can build our confidence from a five or a six on a scale of one to 12 and maybe get it up to an eight or a nine or something. Mike, when you look at this Seahawks team and what has sort of ailed them over their first three games, what issue or, or problem have they faced that you think if they fix this, they're in for a great game on Sunday? I mean, just get stops, right? Is that simple? That's a simple answer, but they just need to get some stops on defense or limit the drives. I mean, the Vikings put that game away with three drives that were five minutes or longer. You know, it was 17 to 7 Seahawks. The Vikings go on that long drive to end the half. It's nearly six minutes. They go nine plays, 85 yards, and yet the Seahawks are still leading. But they come back down. They go on another drive to take the lead. That one was a little shorter. Although, they're, they're critical drives down the stretch, you know, five minutes, seven minutes, eight and a half minutes. The backbreaker might have been the eight and a half minute field goal because it just kept the offense off the field. So you wear down a defense, you don't allow your offense to have the ball, and it's two-pronged because then it got the Seahawks out of their offensive rhythm that looked so good on the first drive of the game. So just get some stops. Vikings were nine for 14 on third downs, and does that require maybe pressing up a little bit, being a little bit more aggressive in coverage and perhaps willing to sacrifice a deep throw. Yeah, and I, th- I don't think we've seen that so far, but you might have to play that risk to get a team off the field. Yeah, I think they're going to have to get a little more aggressive in, in generating turnovers. You mentioned the sustained drives that the Vikings had against the defense last week. I believe every scoring drive Minnesota had was seven or more plays, which means this defense is getting gassed. We saw them lose the time of possession battle against Tennessee where the Titans had the ball for, what was it, two-thirds of the entire game. I think they had over 44 minutes of of time of possession as that game went into overtime. Uh Man, like this Seahawks team, if they can just get the ball back to the offense, and and there's that conversation of, well, yeah, the Seahawks have have been able to score points at a good rate early on this season. Are they scoring too quickly? Which, I mean, that just seems like the most bizarre question to ask, but you're putting that defense out there, a defense that has been pretty porous to start this season. They're averaging well over 400 yards allowed per game in their first three games. Maybe there is a little bit of credence to asking whether or not the Seahawks offense, you know, how they have not been able to keep drives going for, you know, eight, nine minutes. They're scoring on on quick strikes. If that's actually a detriment to the defense. I, I don't know if it's ever a bad thing to score. So I don't buy into the fact that you could score too quickly. The issue is that you get comfortable with that. And we talked about this after the Titans game that Russell Wilson wants to try to always find those shots because they have been there. So when they're not there, how do you adapt and adjust? So I don't think the issue is scoring too quickly. It's when those quick hitters aren't there. How do you recalibrate and get those drives going? Would you call Would you call the first drive against the Vikings maybe the most perfect ideal drive of the season? They got DK Metcalf involved. They had a good dose of Chris Carson. Nine plays, 75 yards. To me, that looked like the best drive of the Seahawks season. Yeah, I think that's when you look at what Shane Waldron wants to do offensively with the weapons the Seahawks have, I think that is very much uh, how he wants to do every drive, pretty much. I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a, a time where the Seahawks put together a drive like that and it's like, eh, you know, maybe, I, you know, it's fine. No, that was... Everything that you could have scripted to go right did go right to start the game against the Vikings. 
Uh, good text here from the 253 to the Mac and Jacks text line. They say, it used to be if the Seahawks were within 10 points at halftime, you could feel good about our position. Now, not so much. The defense no longer has the ability to shut down the opponent in the second half. And second half adjustments, I think both sides of the ball could definitely use a a tweak or two offensively they are not scoring in the second half of games the third quarter this year they have yet to put a single point on the board i believe they've only scored what six second half points this season or something ridiculous like that and the offense has shown a a great ability to start games well but have not been able to finish same goes for the defense the third quarter that's the one that really really jumps out to me because you have a chance to put away games in the third quarter we know you can't win can't win a game in the third quarter, but you could put a game comfortably within reach of winning, or you can keep a game close. So in the third quarter last week, there really wasn't any reason to abandon the game plan when it's only 21-17, but that still happened, and all of a sudden it's 24-17, and then the offense can't score, and by the time it's late fourth quarter, the game's out of reach, the 10-point lead for Minnesota nearly halfway through the third quarter, fourth quarter, so... If the Seahawks can find that balance, and I still think this is why I'm not I'm not saying panic yet, because you're gonna have to be patient with Shane Waldron. Now you can certainly be critical, and maybe if things continue to not progress, you can panic a little bit, but I think he's still learning to make those adjustments and to, to counter a secondary look. Because where have the issues been in the second half when teams come out of the locker room, they see what the Seahawks have done, and they adjust. So the counterpunch from Shane Waldron, that's his learning curve as an offensive coordinator. It's not there yet, but give him some time. It's week four of a 17-week season. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, it's a college football Saturday. So why would we not talk college football here? It's a prove-it Saturday for the Huskies as they take on Oregon State. Have they put their early season woes behind them? Also, Wazoo taking on Cal later on here on 710. We'll get into that matchup, too. More ahead here on Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. If you miss any of Seattle Sports Saturday, make sure you're downloading the podcast on 710sports.com. Every hour of every show is available for you right there on 710sports.com. Joined by Mike Lefko here this morning. I'm Curtis Rogers. And Mike, sort of a prove-it Saturday for the Huskies as they take on the Oregon State Beavers today down in Corvallis. Uh, in a Husky team that has put together two wins in a row, They have the impressive win over Arkansas State where they just blew the doors off of them and then just getting by the skin of their teeth against Cal last week with the overtime win as Cal fumbled on the goal line. Huskies taking advantage there and holding on for the slim, slim victory. But now they face an Oregon State team that is the definition of upstart. This is a Beavers team that over the last couple of years has not been great, but Boy, last Saturday, they had the most impressive win of the Jonathan Smith era down in Corvallis, blowing the doors off of USC down in L.A. And yeah, USC has their own issues and, and their own problems, and that team is is nowhere close to what they are usually. But it's an impressive win nonetheless, nonetheless winning down in Los Angeles. Mike, when you look at this Husky team and the task that lies ahead for them today against Oregon State – 
Do you think we're going to learn more about where this program is now than any of the previous four games this season, even with the embarrassing loss to Montana and the dominating performance put up against them by Michigan in week two? Well, Curtis, as you might not know, maybe you do. Uh, I'm a Husky fan now. And as us Husky fans know, they've won nine straight over Oregon State. Oh, yeah. So I had had a pick because this station is split among Cougs and Huskies. Then you have you, you know, you're your 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 own thing. So keep yeah, going, keep going with that, your own Pac-12 entity. But <laughs> there was pressure on both sides, and I went to the UW game last week. I was like, you know what? I'm a Husky fan because I like what's going on here. I like the vibe. I like the like being a coastal elite. I like the stadium on the water. I like the view. The atmosphere was not bad. I mean, you had a good student section. You had it mostly full, so it, it was good, fun time. And uh, I have the gear. So I am a UW fan now. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, I don't well, know what that I means mean, the ratio here. It's of, free will. Of it's Coug free choice. Huskies. You're but, allowed yeah. to be a Husky. Okay. I mean, I I'm not going to talk you out of it. It's our city's I'll... team. That's my rationale. <laughs> sure, we'll go with yes. that. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Since you are a Huskies, and or since you're a Husky now, your Huskies taking on Oregon State here. Did you see anything against Cal last week that maybe has you thinking a little rosier, not necessarily saying Rose Bowl or anything, but a little more rosier about this team than you did a couple weeks ago? Well, the second half, no, because they looked very Seahawks. So I was like, yeah, this, these teams in this city, I guess they just don't <laughs> score in the second half. But the first half looked great. They had some good offensive drives. Wasn't sure how good Cal was because, you know, we our, our only impression of the Huskies was, wow, okay, you know, the Montana loss and, and Michigan. Yeah, what, what stock do you put in Arkansas State? But UW came right down the field, scored to take the lead, got a couple of turnovers, and then went into the locker room up 14. They put together a really nice 10-play drive right before the half, scored a touchdown, go up 21-7. They looked solid, and they looked like a really good offense. And world's different than that opening loss to Montana. And you know what? It's funny. You can kind of compare it to Oregon State. Because what did Oregon State do in their opener? Went to Purdue, were shut down for most of the game, and then finally strung together a comeback but lost that game. Since that game where they scored just 21 points, they've scored at least 42 in their next three games. 45 against Hawaii, 42 against Idaho, and like you were saying, Curtis, 45 against USC. So I think these two teams were just slow out of the gate, and I would be surprised if we don't see another strong effort from at least the Huskies offense and yeah, certainly Oregon State's offense. Well, and, and the Beavers have one thing going for them right now that they really didn't have in that opener, and that is incredible quarterback play over the last three weeks. Ever since making that switch at starting quarterback, we have seen Chance Nolan take over. He's completing 72% of his passes, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. They had Sam Neuer going in that opener. Uh, and then also Chance Nolan – a threat on the ground, too, averaging 7.2 yards per carry. He's second on the Beavers team in rushing. He has added an element to that Oregon State offense that I don't think the Huskies have, have even come close to facing this year where you're facing a, a dynamic dual-threat quarterback. I mean, look, Michigan, they ran the ball down Washington's throats. They didn't ask their quarterback to do anything against them, and it showed in the final box score. Uh, you've got Arkansas State. They put three points up on the board. Uh, Garbers for Cal, not exactly you know, going to be putting up 500 yards of total offense on anybody. Chance Nolan right now, I, I mean, 
if he continues at this pace, we're talking about somebody that could potentially threaten for uh, an all-pac-12 first or second team nomination. Yeah, and I think what you were saying along those lines is actually one reason that Washington should be concerned because, well, you were dismissive of Chase Garbers, but he had a pretty nice game, including in the second half. Finished three, uh, 30 for 41 with 319 yards, and down the stretch, he just kept leading Cal back down the field, and they just kept scoring. I mean, they're down 14 at halftime. He comes down the field in the second half, leads them on two big touchdown drives, and ties the game down the stretch. And he was pretty mobile, too. He was doing it with their legs, so with his legs. So I think good quarterbacks will give this Washington team a struggle. But if we get back to the original point of what we were kind of talking about, yeah, it's a prove-it game. I think right now the Huskies are certainly a lot better than what they showed in Week 1. This will be a big measuring stick to see if they are just below Oregon right now and can contend for the Pac-12 North. One thing, I guess, if the Huskies are going to be able to pull off the victory today, and I think they're just a couple point underdogs against Oregon State, so I don't know if it's necessarily, it would be a huge upset if UW were to pull off the victory tonight. But it looks as though Kate Otten will be missing the game again uh, due to COVID protocol. And Kate Otten, as we know, probably the most dynamic weapon that UW has offensively somebody that definitely has a future in the NFL he was one of the best tight ends in the country last year even in the shortened season and probably the most reliable target that Dylan Morris has on that offense even with guys like Jalen McMillan sort of emerging uh, Roma Dunze all those guys uh, last week who had or last couple of weeks have had good games for the Huskies Kate Otten's still the ultimate security blanket for that Husky offense. He's going to be out. When you look at UW right now, Mike, is this a, a an offense that you think is getting their feet underneath them after such a slow start, or is there still a lot of room left for improvement? Yeah, there's definitely room for improvement. And what is a little – I don't know if it's concerning yet. Yeah, maybe it's concerning. It's a big question mark, just like the Seahawks, strangely enough. Where is the consistency on offense? I mean, they don't score in both halves. Washington either scores in the first half and then doesn't score in the second half, or they don't score in the second half. And or I already said that. Yeah, it's early in the morning, Curtis. Well, you know what I mean. They score in one half and don't score in the other because opponents make adjustments. And they, they did not, for how good they looked in the first half against Cal, they did nothing in the second half. They had just 62 yards in the second half, 62 yards of total offense in the second half against Cal. So that would be the concerning thing is that they haven't sustained good offense across an entire game yet. And they're going to need to do that tonight against Oregon State, a team that has no problem putting up points up on the board. Uh, We've got a couple minutes left before break. Looking at the Cougs, they need a win in the worst way. They're off to a very slow start this season. And I – not just a win for the program, but I mean, look, if Nick Rolovich wants to keep his job beyond this season, and I'm not just talking about, you know, his vaccination status, which is coming up here over the next couple of days, as I think he he needs to be vaccinated due to the governor, governor's mandate over the next like two or three days here. But I mean, their win loss record, they're one and three right now, and they have not looked very competitive in any of their three losses. They've got a Cal team this week, Oregon State, Stanford, a really good BYU team at ASU, at Oregon. It kind of piles up on them up until the second to last game of the season when they host Arizona, which should be a victory. I mean, how much pressure is on the Cougs today 
for them to just a put together a competitive effort and, and maybe b pick up a, a win on the road. Yeah, you have uh, you have Cal. You're on the road there, but I, I think the issue is they keep blowing leads. They have shown that they can yeah. win. And then they don't do it. They were up 12 against Utah State. They scored the first 14 points against USC and then just completely imploded. So obviously, the pressure is going to grow on Nick Rolovich each week. I don't think you can fire him midseason because of how much you invest when you pay a football coach. It gets so costly. And then all of a sudden, you have to go with an interim. You have to go for a new coaching search. I don't know the financials, obviously, behind that deal. But as the highest paid employee in the state or one of the highest paid employees of the state, it's really costly. But... Is he in danger at the end of the season? Absolutely, especially if they don't find something consistent down the stretch here. That is uh, the look ahead to today in college football here in the state of Washington. That Cougs-Cal game coming your way at 2.30 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pre-game gets going at 12.30. We'll take you right up to that here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Up next, though, a lot of tight races in the American League, especially that wild card race. We'll get a check-in on some scores, including a big one between Tampa Bay and New York right now, and then also look ahead to some matchups that will have a Big impact on whether or not the Mariners can fight their way back into the wild card picture. That's all coming your way next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Let's gaze at the scoreboard because that's what we're going to be doing if we're not watching the Mariners game. Uh, at least it looks lovely right now. Today. It really does. Uh, only one game going on in Major League Baseball, and it is a sight for sore eyes, at least for Mariners fans, as the Rays still up on the Yankees 7-2, to top of the fifth inning. Uh, Mike Zanino up at the dish right now against Lucas Litke. Boy, holy former Mariner right there. Mike Zanino against Lucas Litke. Those are two uh, Mariners of the last decade or so that uh, people might remember around here, but... Uh, yeah, Rays with a 7-2 lead over New York. New York slipping up here at the very end of the season. Uh, just one win would clinch wildcard spot number one for them as they are a game up on the Red Sox for that spot. They are, yeah, they're a game up on the Red Sox. I believe they're two up on the Mariners and Blue Jays for that wildcard number one spot. But uh, also going on today, we've got the Red Sox and Nationals. That game gets underway right as we finish here, uh, or actually a half hour after we finish. So at 105, that game gets going from D.C. Tanner Houck taking on Josiah Gray for the Nats. And then also later on today, you've got the Blue Jays taking on the Orioles. I mean, uh, that game is about to get started here in the next few minutes, Mike, we are scoreboard watching because look, this Mariners team, they need help last night, uh, taking that L against the angels, no longer being able to control their own destiny, but looking at these matchups today, I, I'm, I don't think there's uh you know, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion here that these teams are going to be able to run away with that wild card spot and leave the Mariners in the dust. This is what's fun about scoreboard watching. And the fickle nature of a playoff chase is that your allegiances shift. Because going into the Red Sox series, the Yankees-Red Sox series, on Friday, September 24th, we were all in on the Red Sox. We were big Red Sox fans because the Yankees were behind them. Well, the Yankees proceeded to sweep the Red Sox 
in the midst of a seven-game win streak, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, Red Sox have to lose. Red Sox have to lose. I don't know now, Curtis, if it's out of the realm of possibility, the Yankees, if they lose out, that seemed unfathomable at the start of this series because Tampa Bay has already clinched everything. They don't really have the motivation. You don't need to beat the Yankees for any reason. You're not like a team like the Orioles who is just trying to spoil someone's season. The Rays are focused up on the postseason. They have playoff baseball ahead of them, but they're just that good. And so maybe they do sweep the Yankees, and that gives you another option if you're the Mariners. You have many outs if we're drawing comparisons to poker here. Well, yeah, and the the Rays are, I mean, that game's about halfway over right now. They're up 7-2 on the Yankees. And if they pull that off, they just need one more win for a sweep of New York. And if if you had your pick of stadiums to play in for the wild card game, I think avoiding Yankee Stadium and that ridiculously short porch out in right field, uh, a porch that really stung the Mariners the one time they played in New York this season. You had that Joey Gallo pop-up that barely went over the fence that basically decided that series. Uh, still can't get that bad taste out of my mouth from from that garbage uh, uh stadium they call over there in in the Bronx but uh yeah I mean you look at the matchups tonight Orioles and Blue Jays John Means a guy who Mariners fans yes. are very familiar with our guy John he, Means now our guy he'll yeah, do it again though he, no hitter though he time no hit the Mariners no no he'll do it again yeah no against, against the Blue, the Blue Jays, Jays lineup yeah <laughs> yeah that would be the most <laughs> yes. impressive no hitter of the season in a year that has had nearly a dozen to pick from but yeah, John Means, the best pitcher the Orioles have. He's going up against that Blue Jays lineup this afternoon. Uh, look, this Orioles team, despite their record of 52 and 108, uh, they've got some guys. Cedric Mullins, one of the best players in the American League. Somebody was saying he could probably finish top five MVP voting playing for a team that has 52 wins, which goes to show just how ridiculously good Cedric Mullins can be. Uh, they got guys on that Orioles team. You've got the Red Sox and Nationals. I mean, the Nationals have a chance to win every single night because Juan Soto is this generation's, um, what, like Ted Williams? I mean, he is He's so fun. ridiculously yeah. good. Uh, I believe he has had the most walks in a season this year of anybody over the last like two decades not named Barry Bonds. I think he's at 144 this year. So it goes to show just how big of a threat he is in that lineup. And look, the Red Sox, uh, I'm sure they know how good Juan Soto can be. They're probably going to give him four wide throughout this series. I would advise not looking at the rest of the Nationals lineup, though, because I just did. (laughs) And it's not great. I don't recognize anyone in the lineup. No, I mean, you do. But, oh, it is... By far, completely well. It's completely different than their World Series team because they got rid of everyone. But outside of Juan Soto, yikes! Come on, Nationals. But hey, if the Orioles, if the Orioles can win two against the Red Sox, certainly Washington can win one. We know how hard it is to sweep a team. It is extremely difficult to sweep a team, no matter how good or how bad they are, because of the nature of baseball. You can have a really hot pitcher shut down a team for five to six innings and let the bullpen take over, win a low-scoring one-run game. So it's that's the endearing part about baseball is in other sports you could line up two teams and have a pretty good idea who would win if you played two times against these two teams. But in baseball, yeah, anything could happen. The Angels could score 11 runs like they did last week against the Mariners but not do anything the other two games of the series. Now, when you look at how Major League Baseball sets up their game 162 schedule – 
Every team, every game starts at the exact same time across the league. Like it. Mariners start yeah. at 12. Chaos. You, yeah. Now, it's great for drama for teams that I guess aren't in the race or teams that have already clinched and or fans that are, are just kind of casual baseball fans don't, that don't have a rooting interest in game 162. But here in Seattle, there is going to be so much going on from the hours of 12:10 onward through the end of the Seahawks game. Not only are you going to have to keep an eye on the Mariners game, you're going to have to keep an eye on the Seahawks game. You're going to have to keep an eye on the Yankees game, the Red Sox game, the Blue Jays game. It is going to be just absolute chaos. Uh, it's not going to be chaos ball so much as it'll be chaos watch. Do you think there is going to be? Do you like the the start of games at the same time in game 162? Now that we're on this side of it, or should it be staggered where you can kind of know what you need no. to do? No, no, right. I love it. It's great. All right, you don't want to play a meaningless game. Right. This is this is what it is. That's what's amazing about being a sports fan. And by the way, October, best sports month of the year. But you want them to go out there. Every single one of these teams, you know, Mariners included, obviously, you want them to go out there. and know they just have to win. Go all out. You have to win regardless of what happens. How many times have you seen that situation where a team is about to kick off or tip off or have their first pitch and it is essentially a meaningless game because of something out of their control. So to not have to worry about that, it's really rewarding and it's fascinating because it adds to peak chaos for three hours starting at noon. (laughs) Yeah. And I think major league baseball, they found out that this is the way to do it. This is the success, most successful way to do it. I think it was the 2011 game 162 where you had the Cardinals come Mm -hmm. back against the Braves. You had the Orioles knock off the Red Sox and then the Rays down 7-0 to the Yankees late in that game, turned it on and were able to win 8-7 in extra innings, clinching that spot over Boston. Maybe the most dramatic game 162 in Major League Baseball history. Uh, Mike, could would your heart be able to handle something like that tomorrow if the Mariners were involved? Because man, oh man, uh, I mean, every single game gets tighter and tighter these days. And uh, boy, it's Curtis. It's, what's it's the alternative, a, though? The alternative would be nothing. The Mariners are not yeah. in it, and that's not fun. That's <laughs> not good. You don't want that. A sports fan. Part of being a sports fan is the agony, the intensity. Like last night, the chaos and the waiting bated breath on every pitch so yeah give me that any day over a losing season or not being in contention on the final day of the season now look i i would love for the mariners to just coast into that second wild card spot and it's not going to happen obviously after last night they're going to need a lot of help over the next 48 hours or so but uh as somebody that is getting older my heart can only <laughs> take so much mike well <laughs> i hope heart... it's been okay this season because they've already given you an entire oh, season's boy. worth of stress i know boy, so what's they... one more what's two more games i guess <laughs> When you put it like that, I can see your point. Yeah. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we want your shout-outs to the Mac and Jacks text line. Text in 206-421-ESPN. Who are you shouting out this week, good or bad? We'll read We'll read them on air. We'll give you our shout-outs, and then we will bow out early for some Cougar football. That's all coming your way here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
as we do each and every week here on Seattle Sports Saturday, it is time for shout-outs. Text yours into the Mac and Jacks text line 206-421-ESPN. That is the number. That is our brand new Mac and Jacks text line just this week. If if you haven't migrated over, save that in your phone. Uh, 710 710 no longer works. So uh, let's migrate over to 206 421 And Mike, this is your very first shout out segment here on, on Seattle Sports Saturday. Welcome in. Uh, I'm very you know, excited. This, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Who are you choosing to shout out this week? There's so many people, things to pick from. Uh, the floor is yours. All right. So I don't want to upend the hierarchy. So I was told we could do like a reverse shout out. I won't do yeah, that yet. I, sure. I, I won't. I won't start with that yet. That would be too all chaotic right. to just throw me in here and all of a sudden <laughs> just go reverse shout out on you. So uh, I'm going to shout out the fans. Forty four thousand one hundred and sixty nine fans. That was the official listed attendance. Nice. Wow. Forty four thousand. I mean, what? A, yeah. What a nice crowd. Uh, it was full. It really felt full. I mean, I was there yesterday. Obviously, a ton of people were, and it was an engaged crowd. It was a passionate crowd. And it was unbelievable to see that ballpark full, see it loud, and see it engaged and hanging on every pitch. Yeah, that T-Mobile Park crowd last night reminded me a lot of the crowds that we saw here in Seattle, I would say around the turn of the century. So around 2000, 2001, probably up until around 2003. I mean, look, T-Mobile Park back in the day was setting MLB attendance records. Like that's how much of a show that Mariners team was back then. And and to see Seattle turn out the way it did last night for this team and, and the way they're going to do it tonight and then also tomorrow. And, and tomorrow I think it might be the most – impressive showing because that game is coming at the same time as a Seahawks game. And we know how much the Seahawks control the, the sports culture here in town sort of as they go, the fandom in this town goes and yet the Mariners being able to get crowds the way they have uh, shout out to them for putting a compelling product out on the field this time of year, yeah. but also shout out to Mariners fans for showing up and supporting even with you know all that is going on and all the uh, things that may hold people back from attending, you know the price of tickets, COVID still, you know going on as well in the world, um, but to see forty plus thousand people in that stadium, we were there yesterday prior to fans arriving, doing shows from ten a.m. to when gates were opening around five o'clock. I mean to see it go from nothing to every seat in that building nearly packed I mean that to me was just an incredible sight and and as somebody that has been a Mariners fan since birth it really energizes you for not just this weekend but for years uh, down the road as this team is still really trying to put together a consistent winning product out on the field and they've got a, a tremendous opportunity ahead of them in the coming years. So do you, do you go now, or do I throw all mine out at once? Uh, you can you can What's keep throwing. Here? I mean, we we can also go to the Mac and Jack's text line. Uh, let's go to the two hundred six. And this one, I would say, this falls under the reverse shout out. Which, look, chaos reigns <laughs> on this show. We'll go with some chaos. The two hundred six. My shout out is to the terrible dish network for removing root sports on one of the most important weekends in Mariner baseball history. Luckily I have a radio, but it would have been nice to see on TV. You know how you remedy that problem. Now it's not TV, but it is Mariners baseball. 
you tune in right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So you're not missing these games. You're not missing any of these pitches. And you're still getting the Mariners, you know, in some capacity. Oh, but on that, reverse shout-out to Fubo TV for not carrying Root yet because I was trying to watch the Kraken in their inaugural preseason game. And I had to listen to it on the radio because they are not yet at a deal yet, even though they said they're at a deal. So it's not streaming yet either. So reverse yeah. shout out Fubo TV, which I had to discover <laughs> what that was, sign up for it, and then it was, and then Root Sports wasn't there. They pulled the old bait and switch on you. That's how, they, like, got, oh, that's yeah, how we, they get you. We suckered this guy into signing up, but the network that he really wants, not there yet, but uh, we're going to make him pay. Smart. Uh, my, or let's get to your other shout out here, Mike, and it has a lot to do with uh, the playoff races that are going on around baseball uh, and, and one team in specifically that has helped the Mariners out in a big way. Not so much right now as we look at that score to the game, but uh, as they're down three, nothing to Toronto early, but uh, who is your next shout out? Well, Curtis, you made the joke, I think maybe earlier this week or a couple weeks ago about, you know, us longtime Orioles fans. And so the Orioles were playing in on that. Orioles social media. Shout out to Orioles social media because they fully got on board with their role as spoiler. And so every time the, the games against Boston would start, and it helps that this is a hated rival of other AL East teams, they would post graphics like, hey, aren't we your favorite team? Or look at your new favorite team playing spoiler. And then after they did <laughs> beat the Red Sox twice, they had some funny videos and memes with the Mariners, Blue Jays, and Yankees faces on things or their logos on stuff. So shout out. For the Orioles social media getting fully on board with their role in this playoff race. Yeah, the O's, they have uh, helped out in a big, big way for the Mariners. Uh, two of their 52 wins, could they could not have come at a more advantageous time for Seattle, but they're down 3 nothing right now to the Blue Jays as Toronto uh, got a, I believe it was a three-run home run. No, it was a two-run home run from Vlad Guerrero Jr., and then also Teoscar Hernandez added a solo shot in the first inning off of John Means. Uh, boy, John Means, you really don't like helping out the Mariners this year. I can tell by uh, just how you have mm. treated the Mariners organization over the last uh, few months here. Uh, my shout out, I'm going to get to mine here. Uh I, I will echo Mike in, in shouting out Mariners fans just showing up in a big way this week. Uh, just tremendous to see at T-Mobile Park, seeing every seat filled up for the most part. Um, but my shout-out is going to go to the guy who is normally in on Seattle Sports Saturday each and every week. It's going to go to Taylor Jacobs, and he is not in this week. Uh, him and his wife, uh, Molly, are currently on a baby moon which means that they are anticipating uh giving birth to a baby boy here over the next few months yeah, taylor announcing it go. publicly yes taylor announcing it publicly uh i believe it was yesterday or the day before uh on his twitter account on his uh social media i, I hope i'm not stealing his thunder here and, and when he's back and and on Seattle oh, Sports Saturday. Awkward. You just stole his yeah. thunder on the radio. <laughs> I know. Man. I know. I did. But uh, shout out to him. Shout out to Molly. Uh, two just incredible people. Uh, two people that uh, I wish nothing but the best for as they enter into this new stage of life. As somebody that is a, a new dad himself, uh, I know what they're sort of in for over the next uh, few months. And look, it's it can be stressful. It can be uh, crazy at times. But just know that every single moment is, is going to be something you look back on so 
fondly and, and something that you never want to forget. But I am so excited for, for Taylor and his wife, Molly. Uh, they are going to be just tremendous parents to this baby boy of theirs that is going to be coming, I believe, in January. And we'll get the, the full details from Taylor next week. But uh, Taylor, one of the absolute good guys uh, that we work with, Mike. And uh, I, I am so, so pumped for, for him and his wife. Big question, though, real quick to sneak in there. Will the child be a coog or a husky? Oh, yeah. That's wow. an interesting question you bring up because Taylor, obviously being a coog, his wife Molly is a UW grad. I don't know how they make it work, uh, but they do. Unbelievably, you know, maybe his wife being the coastal elite and Taylor being, you know, the more down home folksy <laughs> person that coogs sort of claim to be. Uh, maybe there's a nice balance in that household but uh that kid's gonna have some tough decisions to make uh hopefully he takes a little more time to decide uh than than you did this week yeah because you have, uh, have it was pledged well allegiance it to might have just happened quickly but it was well thought out behind the scenes <laughs> well that is going to do it for us here today on seattle sports saturday make sure you are staying tuned right here though throughout the day on 710 espn seattle we've got cougar football coming up next as they take on the cal golden bears pregame show starts in just a little bit mariners taking on the la angels 610 first pitch five o'clock pregame for mike lefko i'm curtis rogers this has been seattle sports saturday on 710 espn seattle